Welcome to Experience This, the podcast that celebrates remarkable customer experiences and inspires you to stand out from the competition by wowing your customers. Each episode, we bring you a healthy dose of inspiring stories, funny interactions, and practical takeaways. Marketing and customer experience thought leader, Dan Gingis. Shares the mic with customer retention and employee experience expert, Joey Coleman, helping you to get people talking about your business. So get ready, because it's time to experience this. Get ready for another episode of your favorite podcast, The Experience This Show. Join us as we discuss how restaurants and hotels are dealing with bad customer behavior, why marketers are finally paying attention to customer experience, and why innovation doesn't have to be complicated. Behaving, or maybe misbehaving, marketing, and innovating. Oh, my. There are so many great customer experience articles to read, but who has the time? We summarize them and offer clear takeaways you can implement starting tomorrow. Enjoy this segment of CX Press, where we read the articles so you don't need to. You know, it was just two episodes ago that we shared a major hotel chain's secret memo dun, dun, about, dun. <laughs> about de-escalation procedures. Now, Joey and I lamented that this was even necessary, and yet here we are. Well, as soon as we finished recording that episode, I found an article from the Wall Street Journal entitled, Restaurants and Hotels Push Back Against the Uptick in Customer Tantrums. I love that word, tantrums. Let us share some of the high or perhaps we should say low points of the article. First, an eerie Pennsylvania brewery owner felt the need to post a sign saying, be kind or leave on his front door. While it didn't eliminate the problem customers entirely, it has curbed what had been a mounting display of bad behavior, he says. No one has been outlandish or belligerent, he added. A Providence, Rhode Island hotel general manager says his staff has been worn down by complaints about not answering front desk calls fast enough and off-brand complimentary shampoo. Guys, if you're going to give away free shampoo, it better be the best brand. Oh, my gosh. He, too, resorted to a sign at the hotel's entrance, letting customers know they are experiencing a staff shortage and asking them to be kind and patient. It's part of a larger, quote, please be kind campaign created by the Rhode Island Hospitality Association. And a restaurant in Dallas, Texas, anticipated some angry customer reaction to its decision to reinstate mask requirements when diners are moving about. The decision was announced on signs posted at the front door. Quote, Just in case you feel angry and want to call us names, we have prepared the following responses in advance. Unquote. It then lists the names that staff have been called, including, I can't be making this up, traitors, communists, socialists, and anti-Americans, each followed with a humorous reply. Now, this one, I have to say, did remind me of a sign at a nearby store near where I live. And I know I sent this to you, Joey, via text. And that sign says, if you come into the store without a mask, we will have to take your temperature. 
P.S. We only have rectal thermometers. Choose wisely. Now, okay, that one's maybe more funny than the other three. But Joey, what the heck is going on here? Yeah, I, I think there's a lot of things at play here. And, you know... We have to, in my opinion, separate two pieces of the puzzle. We have to acknowledge the unbelievable stress, angst, languishing, frustration that has permeated our society and our planet, frankly, for the last 18 months. But it seems like it has been exacerbated here in the United States. And we have to acknowledge that the same frustration and angst and anger and irritation that is being felt by the customers is being felt by the staff at the various businesses that the customers are patronizing, right? So if we look at restaurants, if we look at hotels, if we look at retail establishments, you know, all the places that have kind of juggled this balance between, well, is there a local mask mandate or not? Is there a county mask mandate or not? Is there a state mask mandate or not? Do we follow the mandates or not? What do we just want to do as business owners or not? It's like there's just so much pandemonium and uncertainty that it's causing stress for everyone. But the thing I haven't been able to wrap my head around is why the reaction has been so strong and why so many people think that blowing up on a staff member, a waiter, a waitress, a front desk person at a hotel, the flight attendant, whoever it may be, about them enforcing a policy that, let's be candid, they didn't write. They had nothing to do with but management or their organization or the local law is requiring to have happen, why we're taking it out on the individual customer experience representative or customer service representative or just the person who's dealing with the customer. I just don't get it. It kind of reminds me of calling customer service and blaming the poor person that answers the phone for whatever problem you're having right? Their job is actually to fix the problem you're having. They didn't create the problem you're having. And sure enough, we've seen a lot of studies that show that if you're kind and polite and respectful, you're going to get a better answer from them, duh, than if you're rude and a jerk to them. Because we're all humans here, right? And if somebody's rude and a jerk to me, I feel less inclined to help them, frankly, than if they're kind and nice, right? And so... This should translate into the real world as well, but apparently it has become acceptable in some circles to just treat people in a way that we've never treated people before. And that's the part that's, that's so concerning to me. Now, what's happened as a result of this, and Joy, I'd like you to get into this because I know that, that you read this article as well, is that this whole customer experience mantra that we've had for hundreds of years of the customer is always right, is now being called into question. It really is. And, you know, I think so many restaurants and hospitality-related businesses have trained their people to defer to the customer, to default to the customer, to try to serve the customer. But the reality is I think a lot of business owners and at least a lot of the owners I consult and talk with are really rethinking that philosophy. More than 60% of restaurant workers said they had suffered from emotional abuse and disrespect from customers. And 78% said their mental health has been negatively affected in the past 12 months. 
according to a recent report by Black Box Intelligence, a restaurant analytics firm. You know, I was reminded, Dan, of years ago when that plane got stranded. I think it was a JetBlue flight and all the people were trapped on the airplane for a long time and they couldn't get off. And not long after they introduced the passenger bill of rights, I'm actually waiting for the employee bill of rights. Like what is the you know, requirement that's basically going to happen when you want to go to a restaurant or you want to go to a hotel and they say, great, to come here, you have to agree to this standard of behavior. And if you don't, we have the right not to serve you. We have the right to kick you out. Now, it used to be in our society that some of those things were understood. And the ones that weren't understood were posted on a sign on the front door, usually that said, no shirt, no shoes, no service. I don't remember people walking in barefoot and saying, I'm not wearing shoes. You're infringing on my rights by wearing shoes. No, people put their shoes on and went in. And I certainly don't remember anyone yelling at the staff about having to wear shoes. So I just don't understand why we think, you know, folks, if you're upset about mandates, I get it. You have the right to be upset. What I don't think you have the right to do is take it out on people who have nothing to do with creating the mandate and are just trying to do their jobs. I agree. And your Bill of Rights might be coming if Don Mahoney, who owns a restaurant called Scratch & Company in Pittsburgh, has his way. So the article states that he had no qualms about telling his restaurant staff to put certain customers on a no longer welcome list. And one particular customer who objected to a sign asking patrons to wear a mask when not seated at their tables swore called the staff names, and said that he hoped the restaurant went out of business. So Mr. Mahaney then decided to take his message to the public in a long Facebook post. And one of the things that he said was, and I quote, As we settle into a dine-in paradigm once again, one that puts a premium on the well-being and job satisfaction of each and all of our staff, I feel compelled to make something clear. Any guest who demeans or belittles the staff of this restaurant will not be welcome here any longer, unquote. It's come to that. And ultimately, I do think that that is well within the limits of a restaurant owner to say, you know what? This is not tolerated in our place of business. And if this is how you want to treat staff, go somewhere else or better yet, stay at home and cook. But I think we might be there. I I agree. And here's the thing. If you don't like the requirements of an organization that you are potentially going to do business with, whether that's a restaurant or a retail establishment or a hotel or an airline or anywhere that you might go that is saying, in order to be here, you have to subscribe to XYZ behaviors, whether that's vaccination, whether that's wearing a mask, whether that's wearing shoes, the topic doesn't matter. You have a choice go to a different place. Spend your dollars elsewhere. Don't go to the establishment and harass the staff. It's just not right. And you know what, Joey, this has been going on well before this, right? There's lots of companies that have made headlines for uh, taking certain political issues and and running with them, right? On both sides of the aisle, right? There are certain companies that, that are known to be very liberal or very conservative. And you know what? some of their customers don't mind and they patronize them regardless of their political affiliation. And others say, nope, you don't agree with my political affiliation. I'm not going to do business with you. And you know what? That's okay. That is 
perfectly okay because you have a choice to do that. And what I'd like to see, because I, I as you mentioned before, I've never seen anybody walk into, let's say, a Chick-fil-A and start complaining to the person behind the counter that they don't like the ownership stance on a certain issue. I, that would seem kind of, you know, far-fetched because that poor person behind the counter has nothing to do with the ownership standpoint on, a, on an issue. And so we hadn't seen that before, but what we had seen is people making choices on where to spend their dollar. And I think our advice that we're saying to people is, you should still do that. Use your choice on where you want to spend your dollar and go where you're comfortable going. But don't go somewhere and try to make others adhere to what you believe or worse, take it out on staff that has nothing to do with the actual issue. Exactly. And one final thought on this, Dan, we talk a lot on this show about the customer experience, but everybody who's listening, I hope you're increasingly paying attention to your employee experience. In the same way that you have customers that have a variety of opinions on COVID, on mask mandates, on your environmental impact, on which political stances you're in favor of or against, and what you're doing in your local community or not doing, your employees have a variety of opinions too. And I think there is an opportunity, especially in this environment where so many employers are struggling to fill open positions, are struggling to retain quality employees, are struggling to even have the necessary staff to operate at a base operational level. There is an opportunity here, I think, to say, here's what we can guarantee for you as an employee. We will care about you as an individual. We will pay attention to you as an individual. We are interested in knowing what matters to you. We are interested in creating a workplace that is vibrant, that is safe, there where you are excited to come to work, where you feel that you are not on the front line of battles with customers every day. And I think the employers who are willing to create that kind of environment will not have a difficult job finding people to come work with them. Surveys, reports, studies, and reviews. There are some great resources that look at consumer behavior to find emerging trends and established patterns. We dig through the data and bring you the key takeaways in this edition of Inside the Numbers. Recently, Salesforce released its highly anticipated annual state of marketing report. Now, why are we sharing it on a customer experience podcast? Because the results will be very enlightening to our CX listeners. Let's start with an overview of the report from a friend of the show, Adam Brown. Adam is an executive at Salesforce and also the co-host of the Social Pros podcast, which we have both appeared on, co-hosted by our mutual friend and the brainchild behind the creation of this very podcast, Mr. Jay Bear. So here's Adam Brown. Hi, this is Adam Brown, co-host of the Social Pros podcast and executive strategist at Salesforce. Last month, we released our seventh Salesforce State of Marketing report. Our research team interviewed over 8,300 CMOs and other marketing executives to better understand the challenges they are facing and what they are prioritizing in 2021. In the next two minutes, I'm going to walk you through several of the key takeaways of the report. In this study, the majority of CMOs still see innovation and engaging with customers in real time as their biggest priorities, as well as challenges. This has been true for several years, 
but where things defer this year are several new focus areas. Last year saw the intersection of marketing and customer service. Nearly 78% of CMOs say they now own customer experience for their organization. This year, we see this trend continue with customer satisfaction metrics, things like Net Promoter Score and CSAT being the most valued measure for marketers. Does this mean metrics like engagement, views, clicks, and lead scores are no longer important? Not at all. But it does show how important topics like customer lifetime value are to today's CMO and CEO. Finally, 89% of CMOs say they have somewhat or completely changed their marketing channel mix since the start of the pandemic. Where is everyone going? To video, social media, and digital ads. As it relates to video, 90% of CMOs say they're allocating more resources and budget to video content creation in 2021, be it pre-produced, live streaming, or leveraging influencer and user-generated video content. So brush up on your Final Cut and Adobe Premiere chops if you haven't done so already. These are just a few of the compelling insights coming from our Salesforce State of Marketing report. Want the full report? Download it at salesforce.com slash stateofmarketing and see what 8,300 of your colleagues think about our industry. Now, Joy, I wanted to call to your attention the stat that Adam said that nearly 78% of CMOs say that they now own customer experience for their organization. And I want to tell you that when I left corporate America, which was but three years ago, I would guess that number would have been less than 10%. I think you're right, Dan. This has been a big change in how customer experience is managed and operated within an organization. Now, I got to confess, I'm not sure that it's the right change. But I love that the ownership of customer experience is getting C-suite attention and sponsorship and focus. Whether it makes sense to have that person be the CMO, oh, well, I think that's actually, to be honest, open for a little bit of debate. And I, I'd be curious. It's, it's almost like this could turn into an agree to disagree uh, segment while we're in it. But the moral of the story is I think it is a good thing that we are seeing that intersection of marketing and customer service result in CMOs having customer experience as part of their portfolio of responsibilities. Yeah, briefly, I do think it's a good combination. And I have predicted publicly in the past that within five years, there will be no longer a CMO and a CXO. It'll actually be one position. And that the reason for that is that marketing's role has evolved and they are now the promisers of the experience. I mean, that's what marketing is, is it tells people this is what it's going to be like to do business with us. And it's important that they are promising what can actually be delivered by the rest of the company. The other thing is that real good marketing departments don't just work in acquisition or sales. They're in charge of the communications to the customer throughout the journey. And as we've talked about many times on this show... Communication points, which are everywhere in the customer journey, are all opportunities to create experiences. So I do think, and I say this as a recovering marketer, I do think <laughs> that marketing and customer experience have a lot in common. We're going to see more of that. I don't disagree with you that they have a ton in common and we're going to see more of it. I think my hesitation is, is the CMO, when they get customer experience as part of their portfolio, 
giving it the focus and attention it deserves, or are they going to over-index on the word that is in their title, which is marketing? Because I don't think that marketing and customer experience are, you know, opposites of each other. But I do think that sometimes in our effort to market, we reduce the customer experience for somebody after they sign on. And I just worry about where the emphasis and the budget and the focus and the attention and the investment is going to go if someone has the title chief marketing officer. Oh, by the way, they're also responsible for customer experience. Maybe I'm just cautious about you know what it's going to be. I'm going to interrupt you there because I, I now agree with you that we should do a whole segment on this question. So I'm going to commit to creating that segment in a future episode where we do a little bit of an agree to disagree because I think it's a really fun uh, concept. I want to get back to the report though because I pulled up a blog post from Salesforce that was called, that was entitled 84% of marketers say customer expectations are changing their digital strategy. And it happened to capture four key takeaways from the study. Actually, full disclosure, it captured five, but I didn't think the fifth was relevant to us. <laughs> also, unbeknownst to me, it happened to be written by a high school classmate of mine, Michael Costow. Uh, so I thought that was pretty cool. I did not uh, it's expect that. a small that. world after all. Exactly. It's a small... Okay, you got it. So I'm going to go through the four takeaways and I'm going to pause after each one so we can discuss them. The first one is that marketers' top priorities and challenges include innovating, engaging with customers in real time, and creating a cohesive customer journey across channels and devices. Now, interestingly, collaboration or lack thereof was specifically mentioned as one of the main barriers to achieving these. So true. So true. I'm reminded, what, what is that age-old aphorism that the character in Chinese for threat is also the same as the character for opportunity, right? I think the fact that our priorities and our challenges are one and the same for the typical marketer speaks to the challenge of being a CMO or being, you know, leading marketing initiatives. This is crazy difficult stuff that is ever-evolving and ever-changing. Well, I thought you were going to go with the whole concept of collaboration being the barrier as a result of silos. I wanted to not go over the easy silos. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if you don't know Joey's farmer's joke on silos, go back a couple of episodes and uh, or, or we, he's mentioned it a few times. But I actually think the thing that stuck out to me here was a little bit more basic, which is when marketers list their top priorities two of the three top priorities are directly customer experience priorities. Engaging with customers in real time and creating a cohesive customer journey across channels and devices. I'm telling you, again, as a former marketer, that was not true just a few years ago. So I think this is a really interesting and important change to keep tracking. All right, second takeaway. Although pursuing digital innovation can be daunting due to the overwhelming amount of new channels and technologies in the market, marketers are leaning in. Even digital channels we might have classified as emerging recently are seeing widespread adoption, such as podcasts and streaming ads. Now, I thought you might find this one particularly interesting, especially that reference to podcast, Joey. Yeah, you know, it is fascinating. And Dan, we love doing our show. Both of us have done shows for other clients. We've been guest on shows. And I do think that this, this world of audio experience 
is only going to increase, not only as more and more people listen to podcasts, but as we also get voice-enabled devices, whether that's Alexa and all the Alexas just turned on or A-L-E-X-A, as you like to say, or you know, uh, Google Voice or your, your Google Home, whatever service you're using, this idea of listening to content is becoming more pervasive. And I think as a result, so many marketers are trying to figure this out. Do we do our own show? Do we sponsor another show? Do we do guest spots? Do we try to get our executives featured as guests on other spots? Do we hire Dan and Joey to host the show? Dan and Joey to host a show, you know, whatever it may be. There are a lot of opportunities out there. And to your point, it's definitely still emerging but it's emerging at a rate that if this isn't on your radar screen as a marketer, you're behind the games already. And as a customer experience person, the question you should be asking are, is, where are our customers? If your customers don't listen to podcasts, then don't worry about having a podcast. When I worked at Humana and we were focused on seniors, we weren't really upset that we weren't on Snapchat. That's not where seniors are. But man, we would be derelict if we weren't on Facebook because we know grandma and grandpa are on Facebook. So I think this is a customer experience issue as well in terms of understanding your customer, where they are, where they want to consume content, and what content they want to consume. All right, number three definitely has a whole lot of overlap with customer experience. And man, my eyes rolled when I saw this one. More data doesn't mean better data or smarter data decisions. Marketers are planning to use 75% more data sources on average by 2022 than they did in 2020. Yet, only 33% of marketers are completely satisfied with their ability to use data to create more relevant customer experiences. Oh, Dan, I got some strong opinions on this one. Okay, here's the thing, friends. You probably aren't lacking in data. What you are lacking in is insight. You are lacking in taking the data you have and actually doing something with it. I think there's a huge opportunity here to get smarter about the data we're collecting and even more active in how we're using that data to enhance the customer experience. Agreed. And the fourth and final takeaway that we want to share today is about account-based marketing. Now, if you're not in the B2B space, you may not know exactly what account-based marketing is. It's a, ABM is the acronym for it. It's basically this idea of trying to sell to one customer at a time, getting to know them, and doing it in a way that is personalized. Wow, that sure sounds a whole lot like customer experience to me. And this year, 79% of B2B marketers say that they're using an ABM platform and that account-based marketing has grown to be 16% of marketing budgets. Now, B2B buyers, according to the report, expect the same level of empathy and personalization that B2C consumers have come to enjoy, especially during the pandemic era shift to digital-first B2B selling a trend that ABM programs address. Folks, account-based marketing is customer experience in marketing. It's about knowing your customer and selling to them in the way that they want to be sold. And I will take it one step further, is that we should have account-based experience. After customers buy from us, we should continue that account-based marketing technique where we understand each individual customer and treat them the way they want to be and give them the experience that they want. I don't like that ABM is only looked at as a sales technique. I think it should also be an experiential technique. 
So if you want to read the entire report, go to, as Adam said, salesforce.com slash state of marketing. Hey, tell them Adam Brown sent you. We're excited to give you an overview of an important book you should know about, as well as share some of our favorite passages as part of our next book report. Today's book report comes to us from Carla Johnson, and it's called Rethink Innovation, How the World's Most Prolific Innovators Come Up with Great Ideas That Deliver Extraordinary Outcomes. Now, I've gotten to know Carla a little bit better over the past few months. As we've spoken at a couple of the same conferences, we both use the same publisher and book launch team for our new books. We both worked with marketing extraordinaire and H2H creator Brian Kramer, and we share a number of friends in common. In fact, as I was looking at the endorsements of this book, I happened to notice two of your good friends, Joey, as well. Dory Clark, whose book we just reviewed a couple of episodes ago, and Laura Gasner Odding, who was one of our guest contestants on our CX game show, Experience Points. Well, as I've said many times before, Dan, any friend of yours and friend of Dory's and friend of Laura's is someone that I want to be friends with. I don't know Carla well. I'm familiar with her work, but super excited to explore her new book with our audience. Well, something that also drew me to the book was that it has a foreword written by none other than the godfather of customer experience himself, Brian Solis. And I am an unabashed fanboy of Brian Solis. Not afraid to admit it. Love the guy. He is a great human being. And when he writes something, I read it every time. And I learn something every time. Now, let's get on to Carla's book. The major theme of the book is that anyone can be an innovator. Innovation isn't limited to expensive consulting firms, high-powered executives, or Ivy League graduates, she says. Now, I resemble that remark as an Ivy League graduate. Johnson introduces a simple five-step framework that companies can use to teach every one of their employees to be more innovative. Let's hear from the author herself on what this book talks about. This book is for you if you're an executive who's frustrated with the complexity, the cost, and the culture of your innovation focus. If you feel that you're constantly pushing that huge boulder uphill, trying to reach your or even your company's full potential, but you never get higher than false summits. And if you're exhausted with the effort in dealing with the psychological impact of constantly dashed hopes and feelings of failure. It's for you if you're a team lead who believes your crew is capable of much more, but can't figure out how to draw it out of them. Who wants to build a personal brand and a track record as a successful innovator, but doesn't know what to do, doesn't think you have the time, or tries through rigid processes rather than by bringing out the best in people. This book is for you if you believe in innovation with a little eye as much as a big disruptive one who's had to deal with the brunt of massive change and upheaval that cascades down from the top under the dictate to drive synergies, leverage strengths, and think outside the box. This book is for you if you've ever heard that little voice inside tell you that you have a great idea, the one that pops into your head and screams for your attention before reason convinces you it's ridiculous. And you look stupid if you say it out loud. And day after day, another little piece dies inside of you because you've squelched that urge to do extraordinary things for so long that you no longer believe that you can. 
my wish for you is to feel competent, confident, and empowered to do work that has purpose, makes you proud of how you spend your days, and has a bigger impact on your world than you ever dreamed possible. Now, go be extraordinary. So as usual, I had trouble finding the perfect passage that I wanted to have as my favorite one here. And uh, I came to one that I actually had some personal experience with. And so that's why I chose it. Let me read it to you. It's, uh, it's in a section entitled, as a piece of advice, to get out of the office. And that is one of the ways that we can create innovation and creativity. And I quote, You can't be creative in the same conference room where you have your performance review or listen to a town hall on the company's financial performance. In fact, switching up your physical environment isn't just a fun change of pace. It can actually affect the way your brain works. Neurobiologists believe rich, stimulating environments could speed up the rate at which the human brain creates new neurons and neural connections. That means where you host your team meetings and pitch sessions can have an effect on the ideas your team comes up with. Unquote. Now, the reason this spoke to me was because, true story, when I was at Discover Card, I wanted to have a team meeting that was different. I wanted to get everybody out of the office and spend a half a day being creative and innovative. And the place that I took them to was none other than Chuck E. Cheese. Oh, man, did I want to be on your team back in the day. Missed I am, opportunity. I am telling you, Joey, this is 10 years ago, and I still have old team members tell me that they remember our team outing to Chuck E. Cheese. And sure enough, everybody got tokens, and we went and played the games, and we ordered pizza and all that. We had the whole place to ourselves. And then we sat down and had one of the best creative, innovative sessions that the team had ever had because people were just so happy and excited and refreshed and just thrilled to be doing anything but sitting in a conference room. I am not surprised at all that either they had that experience or that you were the brainchild behind that innovative offsite. Yeah, I think it is so valuable to try a new perspective, to get out of the office, to do something a little different. And here's the crazy thing. As more businesses move back into the office after being away from the office for the last 18 months, having so many people work remotely, don't think that the old boardroom is going to be more effective than it used to be. Because frankly, it's not. The conference room, the place where you used to have the meetings and they weren't that innovative and effective, still aren't going to be that way. And in fact, I would posit it's probably the case that they're going to be even less effective because people have been avoiding them for the last several months, if not over a year. So huge opportunity there to really let place spark your innovation. You know, my favorite passage, Dan, was actually all about feedback. And it was focused on the importance of both giving and getting feedback. And I quote, Great innovation requires a high-trust work culture, but most managers and people of position have fragile egos. Research from the Academy of Management Journal shows that when managers are insecure, they don't actively look for new ideas and get defensive when people make suggestions. Employees see this and then don't speak up to avoid a career-limiting move. If managers want to show they practice what they preach, they need to openly model it for other people to witness. When employees see their supervisor is willing to hear criticism and no one's head rolls, they're more likely to speak up. 
I think this is so important. You know, we talked earlier about the power of the employee experience. The employee experience is so tied to the manager experience and all of that connects so importantly to innovation and creativity. And I just think there's a huge opportunity for us to get better about giving and receiving criticism and being open to new ideas and new perspectives that we might not have come up with on our own. Absolutely. And we've talked many times on the show about how all feedback is a gift. And that is true with employees. It is true with customers. It's how we learn. It's how we get better, both learning what we're doing well that we should be doing more of and learning what maybe people don't appreciate and we could be doing differently. All right. So I'm excited to bring Carla back to read her favorite passage of Rethink Innovation. You, the innovator. Consistently delivering new, great, and reliable ideas comes from practicing it so much that it turns the process into a habit. Creativity and critical thinking are like any other muscle. If you want to strengthen it, you have to use it. You have to push it beyond its normal boundaries and apply pressure from different directions. You must practice making it perform under different situations, timeframes, and terrains. The more consistently you do anything, the better you get. Perpetual innovators are the elite athletes of ideas. They consistently hone their skills so they can draw on them without giving it a thought. The pressure of a situation or a deadline doesn't deter them because their ability to jump in at a moment's notice is deeply practiced. While we like to think that these people are creative geniuses, it turns out the only difference is that these geniuses have more practice than other people. The ability to build a practice that draws on all three characteristics of an innovative idea creates an organizational culture conditioned to deliver extraordinary outcomes. If you don't have all three, you will struggle to produce the opportunities your employees deserve to bring forward, your company deserves to deliver, and your stakeholders deserve to enjoy. So if you want to start generating lots of innovative ideas for your company, Head to Amazon or Barnes & Noble or your favorite bookstore and pick up a copy of Rethink Innovation, how the world's most prolific innovators come up with great ideas that deliver extraordinary outcomes by our friend, Carla Johnson. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Experience This. You're the best listener ever. And since you listened to the whole show, yay, you, we're curious Was there a specific part of this episode that you enjoyed the most? If so, it would mean the world to us if you could share it with a coworker, a friend, or someone that just loves listening to podcasts. And while you're in the sharing mood, if you felt inclined to jump over to iTunes or wherever you find your podcasts and write us a review, we would so appreciate it. And when you do, don't forget to let us know as we might have a little surprise for you. Thanks again for your time and we'll see you next week for more Experience. Yes.